If we are saying we're dealing with COVID-19 and um, forget about climate change, we're making the biggest mistake of our lives. You are listening to Think African, a seasonal podcast engaging African thinkers and doers on what it means to think African. Remember to like, rate and review this podcast so that more people like you can find it. I'm your host, J.D. Ramalaba. Despite the obvious impact of climate change on the global environment, many countries are still reluctant to cut back on greenhouse gas emissions. Why? Because reducing greenhouse gas emissions also means cutting back on production and profit, which will eventually slow down economic growth. Since coal, like oil, is a finite resource, many African countries are increasingly drifting towards nuclear power as a viable alternative. Nuclear has enormous potential to fire up the mining and extractive industries presently digging up the African landscape in what many consider to be the second scramble for Africa's virgin resources. Is nuclear a sustainable source of power for the continent? While nuclear power itself is renewable, the material often used at nuclear power stations is a rare type of uranium a mineral which is not renewable. Moreover, scientists are yet to come up with a fail-safe way to dispose of high-level radioactive nuclear waste. Not only that, the cost of safely storing radioactive waste has burdened South African citizens with more than $16 billion and counting in future debt. These are some of the many reasons why Makoma Lekalakala, a South African environmental activist and human rights defender, fought with all her might to prevent South Africa from building more nuclear power stations. Makoma Likalakala's fight against the nuclear industry reads like the biblical story of David and Goliath. In this story, just like in the biblical version, everyone thought Makoma was not thinking straight. I remember one in one meeting, somebody was saying, you guys are crazy. Um, you, you can't take the president to court. In time, the nuclear giant did fall, and Makoma and her team of environmental activists would go on to win a landmark victory against the nuclear industry. Top stories, court sets aside government's nuclear deal. At least for now. And unconstitutional and are reviewed and set aside. We will go back to that victory a little later on in this episode. Magoma is someone I've often encountered in the field in my former capacity as an environmental journalist for the South African Broadcasting Corporation. She was one of my two go-to experts whenever I had a story on air pollution at key industrial areas in South Africa. So I was very curious about how she became an environmental activist in the first place. I actually was recruited to assist on a particular program 
but I'm a social economic justice activist and um, when I came in then I realized that um, there's so much interconnectedness on environmental issues, social issues and um, economic justice issues. During the liberation days or the apartheid era, um, uh, the, the liberation movements or political activists by then, uh, issues of environment didn't take a priority. These were like secondary issues and it's understood because the main goal was to attain, you know, kind of national liberation for, 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 for us to defeat apartheid, but there has been so many tenants around it. She moved from being a political activist and joined Earth Life Africa, an environmental justice organization which has been lobbying against nuclear power in Africa since South Africa's Kuburg nuclear power station came online in the 80s. Kuburg is the only functioning nuclear power station generating electricity on the African continent. If you check the way the nuclear industry has been operating, not only in South Africa but globally, it's secretive, it's corrupt, and it denies people their right to make decisions. So we've seen that in South Africa that um, when the then president um, Zuma signed a deal with the Russians, it was secret. Um, it was not public. It wasn't publicized. And that had the implication on the governance system of South Africa. So anywhere where there's nuclear power or where there's uh, ambitions of building nuclear, you know that uh, there's interference in the governance of that particular country. So democratic um, rights of the people, um, freedom of speech, you know, there's like kind of repression that comes with that. Still, many African countries today seem to be on a nuclear power rush, sponsored by the Russian government. The World Nuclear Association says at least seven sub-Saharan African countries have signed nuclear agreements with Rosatom, Russia's atomic agency. It appears like the Russians will soon be building nuclear power stations in Ghana, Kenya, South Africa, the Republic of Congo, Tanzania, Egypt, Algeria, Tunisia, Rwanda and Morocco. One is nuclear power stations take too long to, to build. Um, they take too long to build, even if they are complete. Ordinary people like me and you, based on the material conditions and the socioeconomic status of people in this country, we won't be able to afford the electricity tariffs. Despite the strong push towards nuclear power as an alternative, Makoma says the government is not paying enough attention to more sustainable sources of power, such as solar, wind, biomass and tidal energy, which are all carbon-free. Just like they are not paying enough attention to what will happen with the toxic byproducts of nuclear power generation. Radioactive waste. This waste stays radioactive for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So that would mean that um, the other coming generations, we bequeathing them a radioactive future, of which it would be irresponsible for us to do so, whilst we have other forms of generating electricity that doesn't leave that kind 
of a radioactive mess for the future generations. It's these silent costs of nuclear power, including recent reports of gas leaks at the Kuburg nuclear power station, which motivated Makoma to challenge a secret nuclear power deal signed by South Africa and Russia in 2014. And that was by the time when we were also questioning, because there were kind of rumors that, uh, or what we heard from uh, Department of Energy, that they want to go ahead with um, expansion of nuclear energy in the country. And um, we were following on the Department of Energy, on government to say, but this is what we have and what are you guys saying, but can we have a meeting with you? Can you get an explanation on this? There were no responses at all. And because of non-responses, we felt that uh, we can't just leave this like the way it is. So we went and we said, maybe let's get to court. But Earthlife's decision to go to court was laughed at by organizations she approached for support. I remember one in one meeting, somebody was saying, you guys are crazy. Um, you, you, you can't take the president to court. You, you can't just take energy issues to court. You won't get anything. Environmental issues don't get a favor, uh, favorable kind of uh, rulings in court. And we said we'll do it. We'll pursue because it's, it's, it's for much more of making sure that our constitutional you know, uh, rights are being protected and there's no abuse of power because what we saw, we saw an abuse of power. By then, Makoma was convinced that the government had violated the country's constitution by signing the deal with Russia without any public consultation whatsoever. Once the decision to go to court was made, they embarked on a demoralizing mission to find law firms who could take their case pro bono. The last thing on their minds was a backlash from then-President Jacob Zuma, who was known to be ruthless against any kind of dissent. Yeah, I think when you have, um, um, when you're convinced, when you have, you are clear about what you're doing and you are convinced, you don't fear anything. Um, there's a lot that happened in between. I mean, whatever happened in between, that's why I was saying it was bound to happen. But also it was testing, you know, whether you really have clarity of purpose, do you understand what you're doing? And uh, we had stories. And as people who are activists and who were activists, we know what possibly could have happened. But you had to kind of be strong and um, make sure that uh, what you had set out to do, it's, it's realized. Along the way, there may have been other people who have fallen off, but um, there are those who stood up till the end. After they found legal representation, Makoma reached out to Liz McDade, the eco-justice lead of the Southern African Faith Communities Environment Institute, or SAFSE, to help her take the President, the Energy Department and the Speaker of Parliament to court. A daunting prospect for all concerned, as Liz McDade recalls. It was quite scary because this is the Russians and the President of South Africa. And who are we? But from my perspective, that just makes me think, okay, I'm more stubborn and I'm going to fight it. If it's coming at us, then we're going we're gonna to beat them. In 2017, the South African High Court ruled in their favor. The courts nullified the 70 billion rand nuclear power agreement.
On the day of the ruling, outside the steps of the Johannesburg High Court, Liz McDade and Makoma Lekalakala celebrated with a handful of activists. Victory to the people! As a result of this court case, the people of South Africa have to be consulted. The Russian agreement has been set aside. We are saying the future is in our hands. We are going to enforce that this government invest more in renewable energy. That's the energy that is going to make sure that we don't destroy this planet. In 2018, they were awarded the Goldman Environmental Prize for the African region. But this legal triumph on constitutional grounds was not the first for Earthlife Africa. We challenged the Minister of Environment for authorizing a coal-fired power plant in the Waterbeck Lepalale. And what we raised with her is that you have made commitments internationally to cut down greenhouse gas emissions. And coal from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Assessment Reports has been pinpointed as the biggest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. You, as the representative of the government of South Africa, had committed South Africa that South Africa would, you know, reduce its greenhouse gas emissions. But here you are, you authorizing a coal-fired power station. Uh, we took it to court. Um, that was the basis on um, the international commitments. Um, Section 24 of uh, the Bill of Rights, which says everyone has got a right to a clean environment or environment that is not harmful to their being. And you also have an obligation to protect that, 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 that environment. So it was not the first time. While Makoma has celebrated her fair share of victories, she's not been able to fully escape intimidation and discrimination based on her gender in the course of her activism. In addition to intense surveillance and intimidation over the years, government officials would threaten her, saying, you're just a township girl. What do you know about nuclear power? I feel that um, what I've set out myself to do to challenge environmental corruption, this is something that other people should follow. I know it comes at greater risk. It comes at a risk where you're even afraid to have new friends because you don't trust you're even afraid to sometimes sleep at your own home. Um, you'd go somewhere else. But at the end of the day, um, your conscience is clear that uh, you're doing the right thing. One of the many activists who lost her life in defense of her environment recently was 60-year-old Mama Figilin Jangase, who was gunned down in her home at Opondweni a few days before my interview with Magoma. Njangase was involved in challenging the further expansion of a large coal mine at Somkele in Guazulu-Natal. Police allege that four gunmen arrived at Njangase's home on October the 22nd at around 6.30 in the evening. She was shot five times and died at the scene, while her 11-year-old grandson was with her. Somkele has one of the largest sources of open-pit mineable coal in South Africa and it is in high demand by steel producers. I think um, Mama Figile's death brings about or highlights what uh, people go through on an everyday basis. It's just unfortunate that in other areas it's not pinpointed exactly that uh, people um, 
are opposed or are critical to whatever development is taking place in the area. So with Ausfigil, I think one thing is that um, with the letters that have been written to the president, with the letters that have been written to um, the, the Minister of uh, Mineral Resources, maybe you know something may change. But this is a worldwide phenomenon. It happens everywhere. And uh, this happening everywhere, it's, 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 it's kind of, um, um, I feel that uh, corporations, I feel that companies um, are really destined to kill, you know, to, to destroy whatever is before them, just for the benefit of, of profit. Um, Ausfigel is death. Um, it's not isolated. I think people know also of Bazuga's death. And there's so many other activists who may have died and uh, their deaths were not attributed. They were not attributed to them being critical of whatever projects in their areas. Looking to the future, one might say Africa is stuck between a rock and a hard place with no clear way out. It has to develop economic infrastructure to lift millions of people out of poverty while also protecting its land and resources from external demands imposed by the industrial world, which has a voracious appetite. A case in point in South Africa today is the Musina Kado Special Economic Zone. A Chinese company is investing over $3 billion in the project, which will result in unprecedented foreign control of that region. Magoma says people are often blinded by the promise of jobs and forget about the real costs. Um, I've just come back from um, Musina Makado public participation um, hearings on the environmental impact assessment to clear off the site for the Musina Makado uh, special economic zone. One of the things that I've seen like in the six public participation meetings I attended, I actually made sure that I go to each and every public participation meeting as long as I'm there. Um, In the four public participation meetings, um, you could see that um, these were the meetings where people were raising issues of concern and um, there was no kind of... um, um, business interest or political interest in that. But there's two meetings where people were, I think, bust into the, 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 the public participation hearings. I mean, in one of the, the meetings, people had even placards that were like, not placards like handwritten, you know, the machine ones to say we want SEZ, we want jobs and whatever. And um, this is what people understood that this project is going to give us jobs. Unfortunately, I was not in that meeting. Um, the time I wanted to join, that was when the meeting was over because of I, I had a call in the car. Um, the last meeting that I attended, this is where it was kind of hectic. We had um, people coming in. Um, that came like in three or four combos, uh, which is good that at least there was real attendance at that meeting. That was the only meeting that way we can say there were like about 80 to 100 people. And at that meeting, um, issues around um, cultural heritage, sacred sites um, uh, were raised. I mean, if you say you're clearing um, the space, 
obviously the whole land that we have in South Africa, you can't claim that in this land people never lived. They may have lived 80 years ago, they may have lived 100 years ago, you may not be aware. And uh, they were saying um, the place has got to be cleared and clearing that place, there's baobao trees, which are like protected trees. There's marula um, mopani trees, which is another food source for people. There's a whole lot of trees also that are kind of um, um, woven into people's, you know, yeah, yeah, but they are woven into people's cultures, traditions, belief systems and practices. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be removed. And... um, People are saying we want jobs. No, it doesn't matter. So raising one's hand to say, can we get a breakdown of jobs? What jobs are going to be there and for how long? And also, are these decent jobs? Because your environmental impact assessment talks about adhering to local, national and international standards. Are the jobs that are going to be offered decent jobs? If you talk about a decent job, it 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 doesn't even come closer to a job where it is said it's a job, but you're going to kind of uproot your being. I mean, if you uproot a baobao tree, you uproot a marula tree, you uproot all the indigenous plants that are woven into your cultures and traditions, it's like uprooting yourself. And also, a decent job, it's not about desecrating the graves of your ancestors. As more trees are being uprooted in the interest of industry, the less we will be able to manage the impacts of climate change. The Congo Basin is a case in point. It's the second largest rainforest in the world, and its trees are under constant threat of being uprooted for commercial interests. And my heart goes to the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, I'm not sure whether in the Southern African uh, region is it a language issue, or it's just that um, it, the, the country has been closed off in that um, no information comes out. And whatever information comes out, it comes out in bits and pieces. And people in this country are suffering more than any other um, African countries. Um, that's my assumption. Because of the mining of all the important minerals there, deforestation that is taking... I mean, Democratic Congo has got almost everything. So the carbon markets, uh, carbon trading, red, I don't think it's, it has helped Africa in any way. It's actually, I think these have actually um, put Africa in a very, very vulnerable state. But, but our governments are allowing that. The preservation of the Congo Basin is also a cause that was very close to Professor Mathai's heart. She dedicated a chapter in her book, The Challenge for Africa, to saving the Congo Basin. People do not know how much they depend on the survival of this ecosystem. So when people say they want to come in and cultivate or they want to come in and grow commercial plantations, I know that they are digging their own graves. Yet, since the spread of the coronavirus pandemic, officials have tried to speed up the approval of large-scale energy projects, allowing developers to bypass laws meant to protect the environment.
if we are saying we're dealing with COVID-19 and um, forget about climate change, we are making the biggest mistake of our lives. Um, and uh, this is where we need to ensure that um, the government institutions are not, you know, flouting on regulations, are not flouting on policies, and they follow legislation fully. Towards the end of our conversation, we briefly touched on colonialism and its extensive negative impact on African minds. As South African poet Mzwakimbuli once said, meaning an injury of the mind is an injury of a nation. The replacement of African knowledge systems by Western ones means, for the most part, Africans don't fully know their roots or they are fast forgetting them. Magoma believes there is some value in looking to the past for today's solutions. You know, there's something interesting that came up during the COVID-19 kind of um, uh, regulations. Um, Someone was saying, um, I mean, standing one meter apart or so in public, it's it's nothing new. Um, In our spirituality beliefs, this is what we do. Because we believe that as you stand, you're not alone. There are people around you. So we need to make space so that, you know, we don't squash you. So <laughs> and when I remember, when, I mean, I, I looked at that and then I checked and I wanted to see, you know, sometimes you want to go back and recall some stuff. And I say, oh, okay, now I understand. Even when you go to some villages, you won't find people... Like when you sit at, you sit at there, I'm seated here. It's safe distance, but you find that people have got gaps when they sit. It's not for anything. Now, now I got to my understanding, although they won't explain to you why they have chairs, you know, um, apart from each other. So this has been a practice. It means that um, your ancestors are around you. You're not alone even if you sit at there. There's people that you sit at with. So they must be given space so that they're not squashed. Um, this is the wisdom that we have um, that could also assist, you know, in mitigating or keeping the pandemic. When I asked her which African thinker she admired the most, it was not surprising that Makoma listed Professor Wangari Mathai on top of her list. The first one, Wangari Mathai. And I remember meeting her and seeing her was like, wow, you know, she didn't say anything, she didn't say much. Um, as you know, that I think maybe that, that was my observation. She was not like more talkative. She talks when she was asked to. But um, that's one of the people that um, I admire. The other person, it's um, Desmond Desa. Um, there are times when people say Desmond, but he's too much. But you know what I like about him? He's fearless. And when he starts something, he wants to make sure that it ends. The other person is um, Nimo Basi from Nigeria. I think the organization that he is in now is home of Mother Earth. I don't know what's in him that makes him solid. Every time appearing cool, calm, and being able to give political direction or direction on, I mean, every time you listen to him, you get something very new. From, from him. I mean, there's a number of them. Ikal Angile from Kenya. I mean, short as is, she's formidable, you know, she's, she's a powerhouse. 
and um, the other person it's um Kumi, my good friend those are the people that are I respect so much. I get sort of inspiration. Um, I get incited when they speak, you know. And um, somehow, somewhere, I know that uh, even if I reach out to them, I know when I reach out to Kumi, he will, I mean, whatever time of the day, he will respond. Uh, when I reach out to Des, he will respond. The others I haven't like reached out personally to them, but I know that uh, because of their inspiration and their incitement, and I'm sure that uh, because I, I look at them at a distance and these are the people that when I grow up, I want to be like them, although I'm older than them. <laughs> That's all we have time for on Think African today. Learn more about the history of nuclear power in Africa by listening to Sound Africa's four-part series exploring the tangled web of South Africa's nuclear past, present and future. We connect the dots between the struggle against apartheid, the Cold War and South Africa's nuclear weapons development program. Well, yes, in the early 90s, uh, I gave gave birth to you. It allowed me to start thinking about what my descendants might be inheriting from my actions. Join us again next week when we meet a young farmer who is making waves in Zimbabwe. Until then, merci, obrigado, gracias, shukran, asante sana, paya danki, Thank you for listening.